I'm preaching this morning, not from that text, though it is a gospel text I dearly love, but from two of the other lectionary texts for today, the Old Testament reading, and then also our reading from the epistles. The first one comes from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. The word of the Lord declares, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Verse 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. And I want to especially draw your attention to verse 10. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And from the epistles, Hebrews chapter 12. You have not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word would be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks, by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed God is a consuming fire. One more time, I just want to draw your attention to two verses. Jeremiah 1.10 said, See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Hebrews 12.26 and 27 at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heaven. The phrase, once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Let's pray for just a moment. O oh Lord, open up our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. Amen. The Jeremiah text... Uh, Chapter 1, verse 10, for me, gives an, a really full picture of what the life of faith looks like, which is simultaneously discouraging and encouraging. 
The encouraging part is that the life of faith is always about God building something new, the God who makes all things new. This is always um, the one who is planting something that is green and hopeful and beautiful. The bad part about all this, if you look at the way of the text, pluck up, pull down, destroy, overthrow, build to plant. There is much more plucking up than there is planting. There is much more deconstruction than there is construction. There is more tearing down, pulling down, than there is building up. There, the, it's interesting how like two-thirds of the list here, it's all, would be things that would seem to us to be negative. But I think the idea is not here that God is angry or that God is harsh, but rather that when God wants to build something new, when God wants to plant something in us, the majority of the work is not in the building and the planning. Most of the work that has to happen is actually in the clearing of the space. Most of the work that happens is in the ground that has to be leveled. Most of the work that happens is not in whatever new is going to be built, but in tearing down all this old. So as we come to these places in our lives, as I do frequently, where it's sort of like, okay, so when is the deconstruction going to stop? Right? When is the plucking up going to stop? I feel like I've been plucked about as much as I can be plucked. I feel like I've been uprooted about as much as I can be uprooted. And I think for many of us here, that is something of the trajectory and of the story. I've had about as much uprooting and plucking and changing. I've had just about as much of that as I can possibly stand. When do we get to start the part where we get to you know, build things up? Now, God is doing that. But I think part of the point here, and I feel the need to qualify this, is that when God wants to do something really big, and by big here, I'm not meaning this sort of cultural like, you know, bigger, better, bright, shinier. That's not what I mean. When God wants to do something really big, something that's vast, pervasive in scope, something that's wide and deep, something that's transformational in us, something that's transformational in our city, this God who's coming in the end to restore all things, this God ultimately whose glory will cover the whole earth the way the waters cover the sea. This God who wants to renew all things. This God who wants to renew all places. In order for that to happen, the work and the scope of it is so big. What it means is in the meantime, there's just a lot of space that has to be cleared out. There's just a lot of stuff that has to be leveled. And as hard as this is for us to hear, in order for something new to be built, in order for something green and hopeful to be planted, that takes a lot of plowing first. So whenever things are being cleared away, God is always making space for something new. Whenever things are being torn down, it's because there's something else that God wants to build up. So on the other side of this is really good things. But in the meantime, who wants to be overthrown? Um, here's a slightly tweetable quote, maybe. I don't even know if it's grammatically correct. I think most of the life of faith really is being overthrown. I think that's the truth of it. Most of life with God is being overthrown. <laughs> Learning to be okay with God overthrowing. For people that want to be in control, for people who want to be in charge of our own destiny, captain of our own ship, learning to let God overthrow and to trust that in the overthrowing, that to trust that in the pulling down, that to trust in all the things that seem to be being pulled apart, there's something beautiful that, and hopeful that God wants to build and to do. So moving from that to the Hebrews text, this is an interesting text to me. We are given... We are being given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
But in the meantime, the author of Hebrews says, let everything that can be shaken, shake. If it can be shaken, then it has to shake. If it can be shaken, it must shake. And one of the images that I had, I don't mean that to sound super charismatic or something, but sometimes for certain services and Sundays, like I'll have these images that for me are just somehow just orient things. And my image today really was of like, I don't know, kids crammed in the back seat of the car and driving through the mountains and there's all these hairpin turns. And after a while, I don't know if anybody here like gets motion sick on a regular basis. I can get motion sick easy in the back seat of a car. You know that queasy feeling? when you made a whole bunch of turns, and finally you're just like, okay, I I can't do this anymore. It's the unique nausea that comes from a bunch of hairpin turns. And like, okay, I, I just need to get there. I can't do this any longer. I think some of us really are kind of in that place. It's like we're, we, we've been in motion for so long. There's so much shaking that's been going on for so long. It's disorienting. It's disorienting to constantly be shaking. And that, for me, feels like, um, on different levels, I feel like that's always, these days, what's happening for me personally. I feel like it's what's happening in the church, lowercase c. I feel like it's what's happening in the church, capital C. I feel like it's what's happening in the world right now. Everything is being shaken. Political systems and structures that seem to be really airtight, tethered down, anchored, unmovable, are shaking. Theological systems and structures that seem to be firm, understandings and ideas of God that before were full of certainty, certitude, clarity, they are shaking. For some of us, relationships that have been primal, fundamental, this thing cannot be moved. This will be here forever in this form. Fundamental, primal relationships that are shaking. Financial realities vocational realities, where I work, where I go to school, all these things that seem to be so defined and clear. I had a plan. I was executing the plan. I knew what I was doing. And then all of a sudden, those things start to shake. And then the more and more that you're shaking, the harder and harder it becomes to discern the voice of God. Is God even in this? Everything that seemed to be up before seems down now. Everything that's down was up. I don't know where I am. I don't know where I'm going. I can't find a little you are here thing on the map. I have no idea where I am. I have no idea where God is because everything is shaking all the time. And when there's a constant shaking, when you're perpetually in motion and it feels like the car never stops, the ride never stops, can't get off the roller coaster, it's always, always moving, we get to a place to where We just desperately want, at all costs, no matter what it requires of us, no matter what compromises we have to make, we just want to make the shaking stop. We just want to not be in motion anymore. Or that's me. I just want stability, right? I just want a handful of things to be secure and certain. I don't want the constant shaking. I don't want the disorientation. I choose orientation. So... This story came to me this week I haven't thought about in so long. I don't recall ever preaching about it before. It's one of those strange stories, 2 Samuel chapter 6, and this is where the ark of God is being brought into the city. You remember in the Old Testament, of course, that the ark of the covenant is where the presence of God rests, and the people of God are given very explicit instructions from the beginning. Nobody's supposed to touch the ark. 
the ark is the thing that most for them embodies the presence of God. The ark is the thing for them that somehow in that box seems to contain their own story. It contains the story of Israel. It contains the story of God's faithfulness. It's their own story. Everything that they hold sacred, everything that they treasure, everything that they cherish is in this box. It all rests there. And so as there's this parade into the city, a kind of processional, we have the scene in 2 Samuel 6 where there's just jubilation. David is dancing, and everybody's dancing, and the musicians are playing, and the singers are singing, and everybody's celebrating. And they've even made a brand new, bright, shiny cart for the Ark of the Covenant. New day, new time, new era, we've got a new cart for the Ark. State of the art. State of the art. Ark transportational technology is in place. And in the midst of all this, one of the oxen stumbles. And when the ox stumbles, the ark itself begins to shake. And a man whose name is Uzzah, who I have to think, is a well-intentioned person. This is someone who rightly cherishes the ark of the covenant. This is someone who rightly consecrates the holiness and the sacredness of the place where God's presence rests, who rightly has a, you know, treasures the story of the people of God that are represented in the ark, the stories of God's faithfulness, the history, the past, all of those things, dear to him. So when he sees the ox stumble and the ark is starting to quake, he puts out his hands to steady the ark. And of course, because this is an Old Testament story, He does not get a life lesson. <laughs> There's not a moral to the story. No one comes out and says, now Uzzah, this is not what you're supposed to do. Next time, God just strikes him dead. Because it's the Old Testament. <laughs> this is what happens. And somehow in that quirky little story, for me, is such an image of I feel like where a lot of our own um, hurt and pain come from a lot of things that we want to make better that we end up only making worse. I feel like the source of so much of our pain and of our conflict comes from this simple reality. That as people like Uzzah, who have good intentions, when the world is shaking and the church is shaking and the things that we've cherished and hold sacred, the things that we've treasured, when they are shaking with good intentions, we put out our hands. We try to exercise our own control to try to stabilize it, try to calm things down, try to make it better. Not a bad intention in the world. And yet somehow, in the stabilizing, in the attempt to try to make things better, in the attempt to try to fix something that's not ours to fix, in the attempt to try to control something that's not been given for us to control, and our attempt to try to touch something that really isn't ours to touch, somehow there's a kind of sin that happens here. There's a kind of transgression. Nothing good comes from this. And I just have to feel like somehow this morning that for many of us who are in different places, where there are relationships right now that feel like they're quaking, and where there are theological systems and structures that feel like they're 
quivering just a little bit right now and where there are all of these expectations about how the world is supposed to be or how we feel like the church is supposed to be, whatever, whatever this might look like, whatever our expectations are, all these things that feel like that we're shaking and us from a really good place, let's do something to calm this down. Let's do something to settle this. I didn't know, by the way, before I moved to Tulsa that we have earthquakes in Oklahoma. I mean, I know they're not like huge. We're not, it's not like we're in danger of falling in the ocean or something, but it's like there are earthquakes. Walls start to shake. Here's my grandmother's china. I need to do something for that. It, it makes all the sense in the world. It's, it's, it's logical. It's normal, right? The instinct in all of that seems pure and good and right. The trouble, I think, is precisely when the Spirit wants to give birth to something new, precisely when God is wanting to restore and to change and to rearrange, precisely when we're on the precipice of some kind of real, profound transformation, these are the moments where the things that are shaking us are not just the elements. It's not just the wind and the storm and the rain. It's not just whatever it is that we think is there. Somehow, in the midst of all this, it's the Spirit that's causing the shaking, It's the spirit that's toppling structures. It's the spirit that's disrupting order. It's the the spirit of God himself that somehow is at work in all the shaking. And for all the ways that we want to make it stop, and for all the ways that it just feels intuitive and right to find some way to calm it down, my sense this morning is that the word of the Lord for most, if not all of us, is simply this. If it can be shaken, it must be shaken. If it can shake, it should shake. If it is shaking, instead of attempting to exercise control, instead of trying to stabilize something that's not yours to stabilize, instead of trying to fix something that not that's just not yours to fix. I believe the word of the Lord to us right now is if it's shaking, then let it shake. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.